0: Thank you, Kerry. We've heard that phrase, haven't we, comfort zone? Uh, You may have even heard the, the, the saying, it's a dangerous place to be in the comfort zone. What do we mean by that? I think we understand that sometimes when we get in a secure place, when life is good, when the paychecks are coming in, when the routine is predictable, we somehow have a tendency, all of us, to say to ourselves, we've arrived. Life is good. And there's danger there, isn't there, when we let our guard down. We, we tend to believe that we're invincible. And this is a danger for all of us. And, and perhaps the most dangerous aspect of this is that when we get in a place like that, we tend to forget our need for God. We feel like we can handle things on our own. We're not desperate for God's provision. We're not desperate for God's direction. To simply put it, we kind of get slack. Let me invite you to open your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 2. Uh, We're going to be moving through several chapters this morning, so you're going to want to have your Bibles open and flipping around with me. Uh, It's worth noting, though, that as we start this morning, we are halfway through our series on the study of David, our our study on the life of David. Uh, So before we begin, Let's take just a minute and let's talk about where we are in David's life, get kind of an overall view of David's life. We've seen how God has brought David from tending sheep to leading his people. It's also worth noting that at this point, David is about 30 years old. Now, David lives to be 70 years old, and so we've still got about 40 years to go. But here at this juncture in the story, David is moving from fugitive to king. really a high point in David's life. If we continue to zoom out and look at his entire life, we find that his years from 30 years old to about 50 years old are great years. David rules as king with integrity and strength, but the age of 50, David's life is going to take a downhill turn. The last 20 years of his life will be full of sorrow and bad decisions, but I'm getting ahead of myself here. So as we come to this point in David's life, let's not forget the overall story. David's story has been one so far of suffering and discouragement and disillusionment and God is going to use all of this. David at this point in, li- in his life has, we might say, been through the ringer and as we said earlier in our series, David has been in boot camp on the road to becoming king. He's learned what it means to trust God. He's learned what it means to depend on God when things are not as he would like. He's experienced times when he's not walking close to God. He felt the pain of that experience. But now God is ready to bring David into the palace, not as a harp player, but this time as king. This morning we're gonna walk with David as he comes to the throne. It's important to notice how he takes the throne. Did he storm in, demanding that everybody submit to him? Not at all. David has learned what it means to to walk with God, to lead into the Spirit's leading. David has learned to follow God in every way. So before we dive into today's text, I want to remind you again where we are in the story. Last week we left off in first, over the last chapter of 1 Samuel. Saul and his sons are now dead. Now what you might think, no brainer, Saul's dead, David should become king, right? Now flip over, as we flip over to 2 Samuel, you'll notice the first chapter is all about David's response to Saul's death. And we're not, not going to spend our time reading this entire chapter here, but I want you to be aware of it. A young man comes to David, he happens to be an Amalekite, and he tells David that he's the one that killed Saul. Now, he's expecting some sort of reward. He's expecting a job promotion. And look at how David responds. This is in 2 Samuel chapter 1, verse 14. David asks him, Why weren't you afraid to lift? Why weren't you afraid to lift your hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? And David calls his men in and has this guy killed. Now, this might seem a bit cruel, but David's making a point here. He's not going to celebrate Saul's death. He's not going to honor those who are responsible for Saul's death. In- instead, he is lamenting and mourning Saul's death. David is involved in public and personal lament. He's not having a party. He's having a funeral. And he's honoring Saul and Jonathan. Now, if you've been walking through the star- story so far, you might be confused by this, right? I mean, this guy was trying to kill David, right? He was, every day, David was waking up wondering if he would make it through the day, and now this guy, Saul, is dead. You might think that David would be celebrating, but that's not at all what's going on. You might even say David was anointed by Samuel as king. He should take the throne and he should be happy when he takes the throne. But David doesn't rush in that way. Look at how he handles the whole deal in 2 Samuel chapter 2, verse 1. The Bible says, In the course of time, David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go up to one of the towns of Judah, he asked The Lord said, go up. David asked, where shall I go? To Hebron, the Lord answered. Do you notice his posture here? David's posture is one of patience, not rushing in, but asking God, God, is it time? Do I go now? Where do I go? He doesn't assume anything at this point. And God instructs him to go to Hebron. This is a region in Judah. And so David is ruling over this southern portion of Israel. We continue to read in verse 8 here. Meanwhile, Abner, son of Ner, the commander of Saul's army, had taken Ishbosheth, son of Saul, and brought him over to Mahaniam. He made him king over Gilead, Asheri, Jezreel, and and over Ephraim, Benjamin, and all Israel. Now, due to time, I won't read every verse in this chapter. You can read the details here. There are lots of battles going on as to how all of this worked out. But the overall view here is that David is king of this limited area for about seven and a half years. You see, David has learned what it means to wait on God, to be patient. He could have been arrogant, he could have demanded that he rule the entire nation, but he doesn't. He waits on God to deal with each obstacle in the way. This this is really David at his best here, isn't it? David trusting God, David leaning into God, David asking God, God, where do I go, how do I go, when do I go? God, I want to follow you. That's all that really matters here. Now again, chapter 2 primarily deals with the battles between David and the other parts of Israel here. Flip over to chapter 3 with me. Verse 1 here is a summary verse. It says, The war between the house of Saul and the house of David lasted a long time. David grew stronger and stronger, while the house of Saul grew weaker and weaker. Now let's move on with the story. David certainly did a lot of things right, but at the same time, he makes some decisions at this point in his life that he'll later regret. In chapter 3, we will see some of them. In chapter 3, verses 2 through 5, here we have a genealogy of David's family. Now this, this might seem like one of, those most, uh, one of those uninteresting points of the Bible, right? Where we just kind of skip over it and move on. But these verses tell us something about David. Look closely at these verses. David did not simply have six children. He has six children by six different wives. Now you might remember when David escaped from Saul's palace, Saul gave Michal, David's wife, to another man. But in the war between the house of Saul and the house of David, David gets her back. And even though she's married to another man, she becomes his wife once again. We later see in 2 Samuel chapter 5 and 1 Chronicles chapter 3, David has many other wives and concubines who bore him children. We, we don't know all the details and we don't know much about any of them but this is going to be a dark spot for David now David again is king and in this day and time culturally kings had lots of wives that's just how it worked out and and David says you know what I'm king so I get lots of wives but in time we're going to see that's going to prove to be a problem for him just just buying into the cultural norms of the day uh, will cost him dearly if we look here David's family members um recorded in scripture we find that david has a total of 20 sons and one daughter by all of these different wives this enormous family and again in time we're going to see how this plays out now if we keep reading in chapter three we'll read about the death of abner saul's commander chapter four i'm going to give you some time to flip over there with me if you're following along chapter four we read about the death of ishbosheth saul's son and again uh, we'd really, if we were going to cover every chapter here, we'd be in this series for about two years, so <laughs> we're moving fairly quick here. Uh, but David's attitude again toward their deaths gives us insight into his heart. He allows God to lead. He allows God to provide the circumstances for him to come into the entire kingdom. He actually gives Ishbosheth the a proper burial at the end of chapter 4. We can see David again at his best. He's humble. He's waiting on God. He's asking God, where do I go? How do I do it? And at what pace do I do it? And then flip over to chapter 5 with me. We finally come to where David is king over all of Israel. In 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 3, we read, When all the elders of Israel had come to King David at Hebron, The king made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. And then we get this summary statement of David's entire reign in verses 4 and 5. David was 30 years old when he became king, and he reigned 40 years. In Hebron, he reigned over Judah 7 years and 6 months, and in Jerusalem, he reigned over all Israel and Judah 33 years. So here's the scene. David is coming... Jerusalem. David is, David is saying this is now the city of David. Look at verse 9. David then took up residence in the fortress and called it the city of David. He built up the area around it from the terraces inward. And he became more and more powerful notice what it says because the Lord God Almighty was with him. So again, this is a, a zoomed out 30,000 uh, foot view of David's life. David's king kingdom and kingship will prove to be incredibly successful and here at the end or the middle of chapter 5 the story seems to pause for just a moment and we're going to do the same thing we're going to pause for just a moment David's kingdom is one of the greatest and powerful kingdoms in all of, in all of history and we understand that God had blessed him tremendously the text tells us that David's power was because God was with him One scholar reflects on the world dynamics of this period in time, if you're interested in ancient civilizations, he describes all other nations in the Near Eastern world at this point in time as struggling. The Egyptians, the Philistines, the Hittites were all struggling, and yet David is growing in power. At the same time, commercial highways are opening up, bringing culture and wealth from distant lands, and God is pouring out his blessings on David He expanded his territory from 6,000 square miles to 60,000 square miles. David's responsible for establishing trade routes throughout the land. He unifies the nation as a God-fearing and God-worshiping land. He destroys the idol altars. He sets up priests for the worship of God. Chuck Swindoll puts it this way. He says, David was a remarkable man. He's a brilliant organizer, a brilliant manager, a brilliant planner. He was also a man, a brilliant battlefield savvy who stayed on the edge of military defense. We cannot overlook David's tremendous success. But at the same time, David is also human. That's what I love about the Bible, don't you? It doesn't just give us this glossy, beautiful picture here. It, it tells us everything. Everything. And I'd like to spend just a few minutes highlighting a few of David's disappointments and downfalls. As we saw earlier, David had too many wives. You know, it's just not possible to do that in a way that honors God. And and David, again, was buying in to the cultural lie of thinking kings just have lots of wives. We read in chapter 5, after he left Hebron, David took more concubines and wives in Jerusalem, and more sons and daughters were born to him. So at the same time that he is achieving national success, David's house will be a mess. Without going into too much detail here and without spoiling the story, because we're going to get into this part of the story later on, one of David's sons will rebel against him, causing him much heartache. Another one of his sons will actually rape his half-sister. That act will lead to murder, and David will have an incredibly dysfunctional family. According to the Bible, David didn't really step up to do anything about it either. David doesn't respond in, in the same way that he leads his nation with his family. And again, I'm kind of getting myself getting ahead of the story a, a little bit, but I'm giving you just a little bit because it's going to get really interesting here in a few weeks. Later, we're going to see the story of David and Bathsheba. Maybe you remember that story. David does not lack women, and yet he is not satisfied. Another downfall for David will be his pride. Again, we'll get into this later in the series, but David's success is gonna get to his head and it's gonna affect him in some tremendous ways. Gonna make poor decisions, and again, based on pride, based on the fact that he thinks that he has all that he needs. So David is a mixed bag, isn't he? And so as we walk with David into the palace as king of all of Israel, we do so with the understanding that this is not a fairy tale. It is a real story with real success and real failure. And as we study David's story, it should remind us that we too are a mixed bag, aren't we? We have good in our lives, times that we follow God, times that we are faithful, and there are times in our lives when we're not so faithful. And as we walk with David into the palace, we have kind of a two-fold reaction. On the one hand, we celebrate and we say, finally, he's arrived where God wants him to be. He's undergone tremendous suffering and patience. God has been forming him into the person that he wants him to be. And maybe you're in a place like that today where you're saying, finally, finally, after all of you fill in the blank, I'm over that. I'm in a place of stability. Maybe God has been molding you, making you into the person that he wants you to be. Finally, you've been given that promotion. Finally, you have that job. Finally, you have that position. Finally, you have that degree, whatever it is. And if this is where you are this morning, this story offers us words of warning. Celebrate what God has done, but don't get too comfortable. Don't tell yourself that you deserve the pleasure of doing things your way see we all need to recognize that prosperity and ease can be very dangerous do you know of c.s lewis's book the Screwtape letters one of my favorite books lewis writes from the perspective of an elder demon it's hard to read sometimes because of that but he's coaching his nephew who's also a demon how to do works of evil. And the older demon says to the younger demon this, the long, dull, monotonous years of middle age prosperity are excellent campaigning weather. <laughs> we can learn from David that the years of blessing, the years of prosperity are dangerous years. And secondly, we learn from David that sin is never a one-time act we're going to see some things down the road that are, our jaws are going to drop. We're going to, how could David do such a thing? But it's the small sins that lead up to the big sins, and we see this with David. His accumulation of wives reveals a problem for David. David has a problem with women, and it's going to come back to hurt him tremendously. Maybe there's evidence in your life this morning, there, there's a small sin, or maybe you can consider it a small sin, that seems to be growing Now is the time to deal with it. Don't let it get too big. Ask God to come now and to heal. Repent of those sins. Now is the time to deal with it. Allow me to challenge you this morning. Maybe it's an addiction, just a taste or an experiment. Maybe just a few pictures on the Internet. They're small steps away from God. Maybe it's neglect of kids or family or even just not having the time with God that you need. I'm not sure what it is for you, but now is the time to deal with it. You see, we can learn much from David's life. We need to learn what it means to walk with God and depend on him every step of the way. We learn what it looks like in David's life when he goes out on his own away from God. Maybe this morning, God would be speaking to you. God would be whispering in your ear, this particular habit that you have, let's deal with it now. Let's not let it get to where it's unmanageable. Call on God this morning, ask him to come, ask him to heal, ask him to help you. Maybe this morning God would be calling you to act in some particular way. Maybe this morning you find yourself in the danger of prosperity. Maybe you would ask God this morning, God, protect me. God, keep me in this time of prosperity from neglecting you, from not paying attention to what you're doing in my life. Maybe you would repent. Maybe you would find accountability in your life. Maybe you would have a conversation with somebody today just asking them, would you help me in this time? What's the message today? The message is that we need to be on guard every step of the way. As I told the kids, you know, when when it's 100 degrees outside, it's easy to think about water, isn't it? But when it's cool and nice, we forget those things like that. Same goes for us spiritually when we're in a place of prosperity, when we're in a place of ease, we need to to depend on God in the same sort of way that we depend on Him when times are hard. May God give us strength today to learn from the life of David. Would you pray with me? God, we're grateful this morning to come to this study to look at David's life. And in, in the coming weeks, we're gonna walk through the story even more, getting into the details of the story as we watch David walk into the throne room for the first time, God, we're reminded that prosperity and ease comes with danger. Help us to know this in our own lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.